Hello there, and welcome to a new episode of the Hyperbaric Reviews with myself, the man who isn't very superstitious, it's Bread Roll. And that can only mean that the man who is with me is a man whose long johns have often been found in strange places, it's JT. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> yeah, we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> and this week, we are taking a look at the John Carpenter classic, The Thing, which came out in 1982 and is something of a remake of a 1951 version that was called The Thing from Another World. And both of them are based on the book Who Goes There, which came out in the 1930s, I believe, around 1931, 30, something like that. Yeah, but... um quite a long legacy for this particular movie and story hmm, that's actually i'm gonna um uh, well, i don't know what the word is but yeah i didn't even know that it was based on that book fucking hell that's um shows how much i know about it so obviously i knew it was a film from the 50s which again like the fly last week i've never seen the original um so i'm only aware of well i've only seen this film um is it actually called john carpenter's the thing because that's sort of how it's branded isn't it or is it just the thing just i've always wondered that well, this one in particular, yeah, like I say, it's always regarded as John Carpenter's The Thing. I think it's to set it apart from the like the original back in the day. But mm. to be fair to him, John Carpenter's a bit of a legend in the old horror game, isn't he? I mean, you look at yeah. his back catalogue, you know, things like Halloween, The Fog, Christine, fucking Roddy Piper and They Live. <laughs> Not anyone wants to ever watch that. That tosses in it. Um, but yeah, he's a bit of a legend. So yeah, I think this was always referred to as the John Carpenter version. Oddly enough, this movie's quite highly regarded for a lot of things, but one of the biggest criticisms it got was it's too gory and too kind of like bloodthirsty, which mm. I thought, you know, is one of the things I actually quite like about it. You know, the film itself, the story's very clever, as we'll discuss. But yeah, I think that's why it's set apart, because this one's considered a bit too gore-heavy compared to the more just plain psychological version of the original and the, the novella, the book, which was actually 1938. Okay. Yeah, I mean... It is quite gory, but it's nothing terrible, is it? I mean, it, it, there is quite a lot of blood and stuff in it and some crazy shit as we talk about, but I've definitely seen worse films in the gore stakes. But yeah. Well, I think, yeah, when it comes, sorry to cut in there, but when it comes That's to fine. gore and stuff, I mean, this is all kind of quite contextual based on mm. like what they're up against. But you think about movies like Saw, all this kind of like torture porn movies that all became popular and stuff and like Hostel and things. I mean, they're just fucking gore and blood and god knows what for the sake of it aren't they i mean they're probably a bit more visceral by comparison just for the sake of it instead of being like contextual yeah they are and also with those films going off on a slight tangent with saw and hostel both of them first films were actually really good and then they just did more and more sequels that were just worse and worse didn't they yeah i know i mean i swear there's like three saw movies that are all supposed to be the last one and now there's a fucking new one coming out it's like <laughs> come on guys you're like milking something more than bloody rockstar at the moment you know the amount of times they re-released gta 5 like, come on. <laughs> yeah i think i stopped it about saw 3 to be honest but anyway we digress away from a 1982 classic i'm just looking here it had a 15 million dollar budget and only made 19.6 million so it didn't do very well in the box office by the looks of this weird isn't it i wonder what else was coming out around that time maybe it was up against stiff competition or maybe I'm the thinking uh et the... was around 82 wasn't it was that around Seven then minutes. Got my that, trusty that would laptop. Have, that would have been massive, obviously. Yeah, um, I mean, that's, I hate that film, but I know it's, yeah, 1980, <laughs> 9th of December, 1982, yeah, for ET. Empire Strikes Back was around 82, wasn't it? Possibly. Star Wars was 79. I don't know. But yeah, it didn't, didn't seem to do very well. I mean, it made a slight profit, but nothing, nothing major. 
Yeah, yeah, it looks like 82. I know 1980, actually, for Empire Strikes Back, okay, apparently. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 77 Star Wars. I'm getting confused. Alien was 79. Fucking hell. Yeah, yeah you're <laughs> right. But either way, it couldn't stand up to um, the little fucking boggle-eyed alien <laughs> that Spielberg brought to us, who sponsored BT for a little while back in the day, if anyone remembers that. Oh, God, yeah, I do, actually. Also, another thing I noticed on um, uh, Wikipedia, before we go on, just doing a bit of research and stuff, not that like I did a lot, because I never do, so professional. They only um, actually mentioned Kurt Russell as like a cast member, and there's a quite a stellar cast in this. Um, you know, uh, most of the actors have been in shitloads of other stuff. The guy who played Childs, old Keith David, he's, oh, he's millions he's of things. Fucking, he's everything, isn't he? I, I love Keith David. I think he's a really good actor. Yeah. But he's like you say, he's like Forrest Whitaker. He just turns up in everything. He's the he's the Arbiter in Halo, the voice of the Arbiter as well. He's been in yeah, Call of Duty, act- Mass Effect, and obviously he's done a lot of. Like you know, actual films as well and TV series, been in shitloads. Anyway. Yeah, I was going to say he's in Saints Row and Rach, my partner's playing the new the remake of Mass Effect, and he's like um Anderson and that. But mm. yeah, fuck me, he's got a really distinct voice as well, so you know it's him straight away when he's like on screen. And I think Child is one of his best characters. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's just weird that um Wiki only lists Kurt Russell. Normally they give you sort of quite a few cast members, and I was like, well, there's definitely more than just one person in this film. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Kurt Russell is obviously the main star, and over oh, time, course. he is now a massive name. It's. I was actually mm. thinking, you know, Kurt Russell, as good of an actor as he is, whenever you mention him, mention his name to someone, you're like, oh yeah, Kurt Russell, and they'll list off a couple of movies. But he was obviously a big actor, and he, I like him, but he never quite reached those levels of like your Mel Gibson's or anything, did he? I'm just trying to think of the actors that were kind of around the same kind of look yeah. and level as him at the same time. Like Gibson, I know he's a fucking lunatic, but he was obviously the. <laughs> He was the big star, wasn't he? He was like the big money maker of the two, whereas kind of Kurt Russell kind of did more kind of not artsy pictures, but more yeah. kind of cult yeah, classics, no, didn't he? No, exactly what you mean. Yeah, like I mean, obviously he did a right for himself, but yeah, he was never the triple A, was he? Like um, some of them around that time. But he's superb in this, as we'll, um, we'll discuss as we go through it. Yeah, so let's take a look at the actual movie. So we get, I actually forgot this, even though I've seen this film like fucking like 100 times probably, <laughs> I actually forgot that you actually open, it's a bit like Predator, you actually get a shot of space and the kind of the UFO, proper like old school flying saucer style coming towards the, the planet. Mm. And it doesn't really t- say like what year or anything it is, you just see it approaching the planet and then it whizzes down. And then we get the um, the title, the thing comes up with that iconic writing and then that awesome music. It's one thing, I love about John Carpenter. He does a lot of his own music. And you think like how iconic the Halloween theme is, you know, it's just as iconic as the thing that kind of like, dum, dum, yeah. dum, dum, it and then it kicks in. Just, just like a bass line done on the keyboard. And Ennio Morricone did the, um, the music in this. And he's like quite a famous sort of electronic music guy, isn't he? Um, but yeah, just yeah. A, dun, dun, dun. it's quite sinister, isn't it? It's so simple, but it works so well. And I must admit, I did think watching it again yesterday, the shot of the spaceship coming down, I thought it looked quite good for 1982. It, it didn't look as ropey as some of the special effects we've seen recently. No, it, it did look good. I mean, I watched the, I was watching it on Blu-ray. I suppose you were as well. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Um, and it's not one of the more modern Blu-rays. I think this is the original release of it. Cause I'm still waiting for a 4K version because it's one I have to have in 4K. Um, but yeah, I thought it actually looked pretty impressive. I was like, yeah, compared to Killer Condom, this looks like it actually had a budget. <laughs> <You know. laughs> Anything looks good compared to that. Uh, another thing as well, you, you're saying about the start there and sort of forgetting bits. I always forget how this film starts. And I've seen it quite a few times as well. And 
I always think, oh yeah, that's the start of it. It's kind of like it's a bit of a slow burner, isn't it? Obviously, as we'll talk about in a minute, and just that opening scene of the spaceship, I always forget that happens right at the start. Yeah, because I always remember obviously the bit we're going to now, and it cuts down to like the snowy, um, mm. like the mountains, and you see a helicopter, a proper old school helicopter as well, flying along, chasing a husky. And there's these dudes, um, obviously we don't know who they are at this point, and they're like throwing, well, they're trying to shoot it with a bloody rifle to start with, Man, and then they many... start throwing like grenades <laughs> out. How many shots does he fire? That's like a never-ending fucking gun as well. He, tries, he shoots about fucking 30 times and misses it, obviously, every time, which, to be fair, shooting a, a moving dog from a helicopter probably isn't the easiest thing in the world to do. And I did also notice the, the camera work, whether it's meant to be, but when it's filming, the helicopter is so shaky. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, I did I notice that. And again, I don't know if it's supposed for. to... Yeah, maybe it was supposed to give the effect of how choppy that ride was. Mm, and that's possibly. why he was shooting like a fucking stormtrooper. It's like you say, <laughs> he's got like the ammo of a Call of Duty character. Yeah, he's got the yeah. fucking accuracy of a stormtrooper and he's like shooting and shooting. But then, like you say, I mean, as we find out later, this guy's not a marksman by any stretch. He's another kind of scientist type dude, isn't he? So he's not obviously yeah. like fucking sharpshooter. Yeah, but exactly. he's, um, they're chasing this husky. Um, poor bugger's running for his fucking life. And then we... <laughs> cut to the sort of the main camp the american archaeological um sort of scientist place and we see kurt russell i don't know what time of day it is but he's already knocking back the whiskey he's always he's got that like... whiskey isn't he it's like yeah, in it? his hand for 90 percent of the film <laughs> i've actually got that in my notes it's like, i don't know what time it is but he literally goes for a whole bottle of whiskey in like fucking 24 hours <laughs> in this thing he, he's playing that um computer chess game isn't he which again going back to the fly last week is a very 80s fucking thing, isn't it? It's so 80s, the computer and the graphics and everything. Well, I say he has to type in like four commands to get his <laughs> piece to move. And then it kind of like disappears and then reappears somewhere else on the screen. And then he loses. So he pours his whiskey in the fucking computer and it blows up. He's just like, <laughs> cheeky bitch or something. I thought two, two things there. It's a waste of whiskey, obviously, but it looks like it's got a never-ending supply anyway. And also, what a waste, you know, there can't be much to do in the, on that base, and he's just fucking fried the computer, so that's one less thing for him to do. Yeah, right, I mean, he's never going to get good at chess, is he, if he throws a fucking <laughs> paddy like that? <laughs> no. <laughs> but anyway, his chess qualities aside, um, as the helicopter starts to approach the base, people, so like all the, the main team, they start to recognise and hear the sound and, of the gunshots and the rotors, they all come out to have a look. And this dog comes like running in, the helicopter's getting closer and they're throwing grenades out of the bloody helicopter, they're armed to the teeth, and then they land just outside of um like Kurt Russell, who plays um McCready of his sort of base. Um, so they all come rushing out. The cop guy, there's this, like a guard, a sheriff called Gary. Um <laughs> he's sort of watching and he's pulling out his gun, thinking, Oh man, someone's gonna go down here. And then the husky runs up to one of them and starts jumping up and trying to lick him. The dude storms up from the helicopter. He goes to throw a grenade, but he drops it like a fucking idiot. And then he's, he's really scrambling well, the for the snow, isn't he? Yeah. It's yeah, it's like really he reaches crap. behind him to throw, and then it just drops out of his hand. <laughs> yeah. Did think that was a bit, a bit camp, the way he dropped it almost. Yeah. So then he's like digging in the snow and then legs it, and the copter and the pilot blow up and go up and smoke. This dude doesn't really stop, does he? He's like, right, fuck it. He just carries on storming towards the base mm. of his rifle, and he's like shouting something in um, Norwegian. And then he shoots the guy in the leg who's near the dog. And then the chief guy smashes a window and shoots him in the head in return. 
One dead um, shot of a pistol, isn't it? It's fucking marksman. I know he's supposed to be a cop or whatever, but that's um, right in his eye, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he does it right. Considering he's like got a weird angle on the guy as well. He's like, <laughs> like I say, poking through this shitty little window. Um, and this guy's got like a full-on sniper rifle and can hit a dog very well. But this guy obviously gets a full-on like bullseye right in the forehead. Um, yeah, it's quite a distance so yeah. as well for a pistol, I thought. You know, it, it, I'm not a, a marksman or an expert on guns, but he's quite a distance away and he fucking hits him clean in the eye. So, yeah, fair play. <laughs> yeah, so they sort of like pull themselves together. They grab, obviously, their, their comrade who's been shot and they bring him indoors for medical attention. And they bring the dude in who's been shot in the head and they start looking and they're like, they, they realise that they must be from um, a local Norwegian base that they've got on the maps because... One thing about this film, I mean, first of all, it's set back in the 1980s, so not really much in the way of communication, but, you know, out in the Antarctic and stuff, you're not really going to have, you know, much of a kind of community, are you? You're going to probably know one or two bases nearby, and that's about it, if there's anything there. So it's a very isolated movie. Yeah, it is, um, which obviously plays a big part later on. Um, we, we get windows, I think it's around this point, on the radio, trying to contact other places, and he can't contact anyone so that sort of also adds to the isolation doesn't it the fact that they yeah, really he, can't even talk to anyone else let alone see anyone else that's it he's like saying he hasn't heard shit for two weeks and all this sort mm. of stuff and um, they're saying like you need to find someone to tell that this has happened and then they decide that they want to go and check out this base um to see what's been going on so i can't remember one thing JT and I were discussing before we started this, everyone in this movie got really weird names. <laughs> but um, a couple of them, and I'm not even going to pretend I know I which think, ones. It's definitely McCready. Are you on about the two that go to the base? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I, they need McCready because he's the pilot. Yeah, I think Doc goes with him. Um, I'm sure it's McCready and Doc. But again, could be wrong because as Fred Roll said, discussing before we started recording, there's some weird names in this. And not being funny, but some of the characters... I wouldn't say they look similar, that's not right, but it's just confusing the way they sort of all interact, who's called what, isn't it? Yeah, because they don't really address each other that much, apart from the main characters, they all just talk. I mean, again, it's it's one of those things, I think it's a bit like Alien in a way, it's isolated, so you've got this tight-knit kind of group of people that are kind of huddled together, obviously not on a spaceship this time, but again, they've got nowhere they can go, so like they all just pretty much live in close proximity. I don't know if I'd mm. like that or not. I mean, it's a much better right. setting than Alien, definitely. No, I'd rather be in the Antarctic than up in space. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. it's similar though, isn't it? Because obviously in Alien, they're trapped on the ship and they can't go outside the ship because you die. But in this, it's minus 40 outside. As they say a couple of times, you can't really go outside for any length of time. Otherwise, you're going to die in a different way. Exactly, yeah. So it's that kind of close-knit crew. And one other thing as well is um, it's an all-male cast, isn't it? Like there's it no is. women in this. Yeah, you're right. And even more so than Bad Taste from a few weeks back. So at least you had a female voice on the radio for 30 seconds. There's not even that in this, is there? It's completely a uh, testosterone fueled uh, crew there. Probably for yeah. the best, though, to be fair, because if there was female people, as we've talked about before, the uh, the urges start to, to happen, don't they? So all hell would probably break loose if there was a couple of women there. Yeah, exactly. Especially, again, back in those days in the isolation. I'm not trying to put a bad spin on men, but these mm. sort of things do invite unfortunate behaviour. But <laughs> that's a that's a story for another time. Yeah. Um, so they, they go off to this base to have a look around. And this is one of the best scenes in the movie. I mean, the, the whole movie has some really cool scenes, but there's a lot of atmosphere here because they, as they're approaching, you can see the smoke in the distance. So you know something's gone tits up. 
and they land and the, the shacks all kind of burn down and they kind of go in and split up and look around and they it's just a very slow methodic sort of search isn't it, it like is. it's very dark and you can only really see what they can see through the light of their flashlights it doesn't give much away other than what the characters are going to allow you to see yeah it's almost like um survival horror isn't it kind of situation um there's an axe not a bloodied axe sticking out of a door and there's a trail of blood and they, they find a guy frozen in his chair don't they and looks like he's cut his own throat he's sort of holding a scalpel and there's frozen blood dripping down from it and his neck's all slit and it's sort of kind of Resident Evil Silent Hill-ish almost I thought yeah it is creepy they did actually make as I think you know um they actually made a PS2 game I think it was on the Xbox as well thing yes. set after the events of this movie and that was um that was actually pretty good survival horror fucking hard I never completed yeah it, it was <laughs> bloody hard yeah, yeah. that was a good game though and it did it um capture some of the essence of the film didn't it the atmosphere and stuff and the paranoia which comes into play a little bit later on it does yeah i don't know i mean i'm again i'm no expert or anything but as cool as that effect is of like the guy he's obviously slit his wrists and stuff and the blood's frozen as it's dripping out do you think it would actually freeze like that i know it's obviously fucking uh, freeze your bollocks off weather at the best of times out there but i don't know if it would actually <laughs> freeze like hanging down like obviously yeah. blood stickles or something I'd, I'd, I don't know, bread roll, to be honest. I mean, yeah, minus 40, I guess most things would freeze, but blood, who knows? Um, I'm working in the medical profession now. Maybe I'll ask one of the doctors I work with, <laughs> see what they say. <laughs> I wouldn't. They might think you're up to you, you're making plans or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Probably, probably best not to. <laughs> so um, they, they have a look around and they obviously they see that something's gone drastically wrong here with old matey boy with his slit wrists. Um, and then they find... Um, like an, an outhouse type thing, and it's got this massive ice cube in it that's been got a huge cutout, and they don't know. Obviously, something was in there that they pulled out. And there's holes in the ceiling. There's all kinds of shit going on. So they realise that something drastic's happened here. Um, so they start collecting like some of the videos and some of the logs, and it's all paperwork back then of what happened. And they want to take it back to their base and try and read through it and make sense. But then they also find. Well, a discovery, don't they? They find a, a body of, of yeah. sorts. All burnt and sort of twisted. And it's kind of human, but not at the same time. It's like a melted, twisted human body, isn't it? And it's, it's all burnt up and shit. Um, I think Doc is like, what the hell is that? Is that a man in there? Or something, doesn't he? It's quite, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, it is pretty hideous what they find. But the thing that made me laugh is um, that so they, they bring the body back in the, in the chopper. And um, you get a glimpse of when they're landing, the um, the husky that the Norwegians are shooting at, sort of looking at it out of the window, sort of giving it, their sort of viewers a bit of a feeling that there's something not quite right about this dog. So he's looking a bit, I mean, can dogs look sketchy? But he is looking a bit sketchy, isn't he? Sort of watching out of the window. But he is. They've, they've got this body and they've had it in the chopper and they bring it back in and they've got like a sort of blanket around it and they pull the blanket off and it's still like, smoke coming off it where it's been burnt and stuff and that and it they're all like oh the smell and i'm thinking if that thing's been in the chopper with you in a confined space you can't tell me you know if it smells that bad you wouldn't have fucking probably nearly died with it in there with you yeah yeah that's a good point actually and, and again it's one of those things it's, it's done for effect but yeah when you think about it having that i don't know if you'd want to actually fucking put it in your helicopter would you i mean it's fucking gnarly is is you <laughs> like it's like you say it's all twisted and fucking <laughs> yeah. weird that chopper's not very big, and they've got obviously Doc and Mac in there. I'm assuming there's room for more than two people, but it must have taken up 
quite a bit of room in there because it's where it's all twisted in sort of whatever. It's sort of bigger than a human body would normally be, isn't it? Yeah, because it's it basically turns out to be well, it looks like two humans spliced together, mm. doesn't it? And it's like yeah. got bloody God knows how many hands and fuck knows elsewhere. Um, but yeah, just just to note, like you said there on on that dog. I mean, whoever trained this dog is pretty cool, but it does look fucking. It's just something unsettling the way it roams yeah. around the base and it just looks at people and then how it's watching out the window. It's just like, man, this dog's fucking creepy. Yeah, he's got a look about him, hasn't he? For well, I say he could be a female dog, but yeah, but they've so they've got the body back at the base now and they want Blair, I think it is. Again, apologies if it's the wrong character, but they want him to start an autopsy on it straight away and it's kind of on this table, isn't it? And like you say, it's got two faces and they're all melted together and it's all mangled up. And I thought it looked really good because obviously they had to make this model and I thought it looked really yeah. good. Yeah, no, I think it looks superb. It's all slimy. It, mm. it looks obviously we know it's a prop, but it, it looks like it could be real. Like it, It's just something about the way it's done. Yeah. Like I say that slime and the effect and the goo and everything. It just, it looks really like creepy. It's, in the, it's like one of those films you watch and you're just like, man, you know, you can always just tell the quality difference between having something physical on screen and having something that's just CGI and the way yeah, the actors definitely. are kind of responding and interacting with it. Yeah, no, it looks very believable, um, definitely. So the, the um, they've done an autopsy on the first guy, the one that old Gary shot in the face as well. And apparently he's completely normal. There's nothing wrong with him. So they start, like, well, Blair, I think it is, starts pulling out the organs of this twisted, mangled thing. And he, he basically says it appears to be normal, doesn't he? It's got normal organs and stuff, and it appears like it, it was human. Yeah. But yeah, yeah and he's, like, um, but he say like has like two sets of certain organs as well, though. He says like they are genuine, but they just seem to be multiplied. Yeah, I think so, because obviously it's got two faces and stuff, but it appears that the organs are normal. But like I say, I think they are multiplied. So we, we kind of, this is weird as well, because we cut now to all the guys, I'm assuming it's night time. They're chilling out. A couple of them are watching videos. They're smoking weed. There's like a sort of communal room where they're playing pool and cards and stuff and drinking. They're all pretty fucking casual considering they've just found this mangled fucking body of something. They don't seem to be particularly bothered about it, do they? No, especially like the dude, because um, I sat around the table, there's three of them, and the little the bold dude with the ginger beard, he got shot in the leg, like, couple of hours ago and he's just sat there playing cards now isn't he um, <laughs> yeah no, it doesn't I seem you, that bothered you see him like being stitched up a little bit earlier on he's just got like this little graze like he's been playing in a playground and fallen over and he's, <laughs> he's shot in the fucking leg i mean I, the bullet might have just grazed him i don't know but it doesn't seem particularly serious injury considering it looked like he got shot pretty full on in the leg about an hour ago but well yeah anyway again the rifle looked pretty like serious as well didn't like <laughs> he was, at, at least at the very minimum, it's a decent hunting rifle, if not a military-grade one. So, yeah, he just seems to be doing all right now. Yeah, he does. Um, and the dog's kind of wandering around, the one that the Norwegians were shooting at. So they tell, I think it's Clark, isn't it, who appears to be yeah. the, the dog guy, because he's the one. They say, I'll oh, go and put that in the in the kennels or the cage with the other ones. So he takes it down there and puts it in. There's like a cage, isn't there, a wired cage, quite a big one, with lots of huskies in. And he puts it in there and everything kind of seems normal. He walks away and there's a little bit of sort of the dogs all look at each other, but they would. This is a, a new dog and, you know, they're quite territorial, aren't they? But there's no major incident or anything. So he wanders off and then pretty much straight away, all fucking hell breaks loose, doesn't it, with this dog? It does, yeah. It's pretty creepy the way it comes in because mm. he puts it in there and it just kind of just sits down and just stares, doesn't it, at the wall yeah. pretty much. Um, but like you say, all the other dogs at this point are just like, ah, another dog we're, we're all good and then 
literally as soon as Clark's nowhere to be seen, he's gone out the door. This kind of weird, it's like a rattlesnake sound, isn't it? Starts up and then this fucking, this actually, the very first time I saw this movie, I changed the channel and this is the exact scene that was playing. Um, so I didn't get the build-up yeah. or anything. This is the first time I saw it, and I just I saw think... this, and I was like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> Do you know what, right? I'll, I'll tell people this. They'll probably laugh, and it's quite embarrassing. But um, the first time I ever saw this, um, I was fairly young, but it was on TV. And this is the first bit I remember, whether, again, same as yourself, I turned on around this point, or whether I just don't remember the intro, since there's not a lot happens, really, at first. Anyway, yeah, and... Um, we had a cat then, we've got a cat now, but it's a different cat back then. And she was in the room with me and I was probably only 10 or 11. And I was so fucking scared that um, I had to get the cat out of the room because I thought it was going to start turning into the thing. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Cats probably are the thing anyway. You've seen the way they, they're really shifty, the way they move around. So. <laughs> yeah. So there, there you go. But yeah, going back to the old uh, dog. Yeah. It's, all the other dogs are going crazy and they're biting through this wire, which kind of, shows how mad they're going because that's not an easy thing to do i know dogs have got sharp teeth but it's not something a normal dog would start doing is it yeah this bit must have been really strange to shoot as well because obviously they've got the real dogs in there and you've got this fucking monstrosity that's its head kind of <laughs> splits open and its skull falls out then it grows like these fucking big spider legs and then it starts shooting some weird spray goo it looks like, it looks like milkshake. Really, but... <laughs> yeah it does actually, milk, yeah. Like strawberry milkshake or something it starts puking it over all these all the other dogs doesn't it yeah, and like you say, you've got the dogs, they're literally chewing on the bloody, like, the, the wire mesh to try and get out. They're panicking. So old um, Clark, he's obviously picked up on all the noise and everything because it kicks off straight away, so he probably would have heard it being a few feet away he from could, the Yeah, place. I was going to say, he could only been about 10 feet away, so literally as he turns his back, it starts happening, doesn't it? Yeah, so he, he comes in, and it's all dark. The lights are off and stuff, and he kind of... He goes to open because he hears the barking. He opens the um the kennel door and one husky comes charging out like fucking running for <laughs> his life. And then these weird kind of like fucking bits of spaghetti are like flapping around by the fucking door. And he's like, Ugh, kicks the door and shuts it. And then this bit here confuses me because we get a shot back of the in the main complex and it's Mac going to get like another bottle of whiskey or something. And he kind of looks towards the camera. And then he runs and sets off the fire alarm, but I don't know what he yeah. sees to make him do that. Yeah, I thought that. I, mean, I watched this again yesterday. I, there must be um, some kind of CCTV or something, because, yeah, he sort of looks, and then he, he literally just fucking flips out and just presses the uh, the alarm and stuff, doesn't he? And he wants a flamethrower. He's like, go and get the flamethrower. So he's obviously seen it on a CCTV screen or something. Yeah, yeah, it's just really weird, because, like I say, they all come running to the kennels, and, um, like I say, he sends someone to tell Childs to get the flamethrower and bring it in and stuff. And they're all like just stood there in disbelief because this thing, literally, <laughs> I don't know what it's supposed to be. It's like got half a big fucking dog's head and it looks like a big poo with fucking <laughs> tentacles and just shit. But anyway, it's like it's fucking grotesque and horrible. So Childs comes in with the flamethrower, he blasts it and McCready shoots it with a shotgun and then it falls down. It's trying to escape. It like punches through the ceiling, but from the shotgun and the flamethrower, it falls back down. Um, and then McCready shoots like the rest of the dogs that are all injured and dying around them and stuff, and they put the fire out, and it's just a really fucking gnarly sequence. That whole kind of transformation is so brutal. Yeah, it is. Um, and there's a bit, just um, I think as Childs is um, flamethrowing it, like this other mouth comes out, and it kind of, it looks like the Demogorgon from Stranger Things, which is something, something else we talked about looked like. So they must have taken some inspiration from that, because 
when it opens out, it's almost like the sort of flowery look that the demogorgon's got. You know what? You know what I mean? I'm sure it's hard to describe. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah, yeah definitely. Watched this again last night. I thought, fuck me, that's a demogorgon from Stranger Things. So I reckon they definitely took inspiration from. Obviously, Stranger Things is based in the eighties anyway. It's very like you know a throwback to the eighties. So yeah, I just picked up on that last night watching it again. But the effects, I mean, for the time, what are we, 40 odd years now, looks fucking brilliant, I think. There's a couple of bits where the dogs, you can tell they're not real dogs. When uh, Max shooting a couple of them, they look a bit stuffed. But overall, I thought it looked excellent. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. Really good effects. And you just got to kind of appreciate, you know, they had to actually design that and set it up to work, you know, like the way it kind of like his arms come out and it grabs the ceiling and falls down and stuff. Like a lot of effort would have gone into that for a, a fairly modest budget back in the day as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so we, we get Doc now. He's doing an autopsy on the thing, I guess, with that school, because that's what it is, the, the dog thing. Um, and he's kind of pulling it apart again like he was the Norwegian guy. And he, he says it's a life form that imitates other life forms. It's kind of taken the dog and it's trying to imitate him and turn into him, isn't it? Yeah, because he, he's still like... Does. Yeah, he, he like he's got the dog's. I think his head, and he's like, "That's not dog. That's imitation, mm. right there." And he's like trying to like emphasize it to people. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've got a couple of my couple of thoughts about the thing itself, which I'll come to in a scene later. That's a little bit more obviously privy to obviously what I want to sort of like get your opinion on. But yeah, it's good. Like he, he's comes to the conclusion fairly quickly, though, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah, I mean, you don't know how much of a doctor this guy is. I'm assuming they would have had a, a proper doctor there being isolated that needed someone. So he seems to kind of, like you say, he, he doesn't fuck about. He's straight in and he knows exactly what's going on pretty much, doesn't he? Yeah. And then they, um, we kind of cut to the next day and they've looked at some of the tapes and read the logs of the Norwegian bases, kind of like wherever they're working on. And they surmise that there's a location that these guys visited and found something. So they head out to take a look. Again, it's Mac. It might be the Doc and the curly-haired dude. Um, I think there's three of them in there this time. <laughs> one thing, though, yeah. just they're watching the videos and one of them goes, how many fucking videos are there? And he's like, oh, about nine hours. And then conveniently, about a minute later, they find a the bit they're looking for, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if that was like, you know, a jump in time or whether it was straight away. But they're moaning there's so many videos. And within two minutes, they're like, oh, there it is. I'm like, oh, that was convenient. <laughs> yeah, because the video showed them doing like some big seismic blasts out in obviously wherever, um, which leads them to the location. And they find basically the outer linings of a UFO. And then a little bit further away, they find a square or like a rectangle cut, which matches the big kind of ice cube that they found in the Norwegian base, indicating that a life form appeared. It, crawled out it got frozen these guys found it and dug it up and it kind of fucked them over when it woke up yeah they reckon it's probably been there around a hundred thousand years um i think one of them says when they're sort of looking at it one bit it did look a bit ropey i thought <laughs> pun intended when they go down to look at the spaceship it's kind of in a crater isn't it in the ice and they go down on ropes and um you can kind of tell it's almost i don't know if it's a painting or something in a blue screen it looked a bit shit the way they were sort of superimposed on this spaceship that didn't stand the test of time very well, but you know that's not really an important effect in the grand scheme of the film. So I can let them off a bit. Yeah, like you say, it's kind of one of those kind of pre-rendered backgrounds, isn't it? That mm. they kind of just kind of superimposed, copy and pasted them onto. But <laughs> it's not even a big scene. But yeah, I suppose no. that is probably 
the, the only core ropey bit I can think of in this movie, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's why it stood out for me, because the rest of it, for I mean, even now, a lot of it looks very good, and certainly back then it would have been really cutting edge. But yeah, that bit did stand out as a, a bit that didn't look great. But like you say, and like I said, it's not really an important part of the film. In fact, I'd forgotten that scene even existed. So, yeah. So then they they go back to the um the old base now, and they're back in like the mess hall. It seems to be evening once again. Max back on his whiskey, but he's kind of outlining his <laughs> theory about you know, like we just said there, that the thing crashed or the the UFO crashed thousands of years later. It um got found and dug up by the Norwegians, and it woke up. And I love the way he kind of does the dialogue here. And it goes, it wakes up. Probably not in the best of moods. Yeah. <laughs> Probably fucking wouldn't be. But then they're all like asking him, like, oh, you know, McCready, what do you think this is? And he's like, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. This is just my plan. But they all, I don't know who's supposed to run this place or what it is they even actually do, but they all seem to look to McCready, don't they, as they the do. leader? They do. And then I think a bit later on when we get to a scene, Gary turns out to be the leader, but he's hardly in the fucking film, is he, really? It's all about Mac. Um, and obviously McCready becomes the leader later on spoiler alert again um but yeah they, they all look to him he he seems to be the man he's obviously the biggest name in the film as well so you kind of think he would be the main character but they don't really believe his story do they he's telling them you know he thinks this thing's been woken up and that and they're all kind of mugging him off a bit aren't they i think it's only blair he asked blair and he sort of gives him a sort of knowing look but again he doesn't really agree with him but it's more of a sort of hmm look whereas the rest of them are like nah fuck off you're talking shit yeah, because Charles is a bit of like, he's a bit of a hothead, isn't he? And he's just like, mm. kind of like, ah, oh, no, you're full of shit, McCready. But yeah, like you say, again, it's one of those things where you go back and you kind of notice the way the dog behaves before the transformation. And you kind of notice, like, Blair, he's, he's just always really deep in thought, isn't he? And he always looks really concerned. And I think he's actually, he doesn't say much in the movie either, but he's really right. good at delivering, like, when you actually stop and appreciate his body language and his expressions, he is really good. And you're kind of always thinking, yeah, this guy's obviously... He even knows something or he suspects something. Yeah, I mean, I hate keep harping on about it and going back to it because we do it in a fair few of these podcasts, but he's um, he's this movie's Ash, isn't he? He's the Ash character. He is, pretty much. He's kind of like this, that grey man who's just in the background and you know, like, he knows more than he's letting on and the more you kind of watch the film and know what's going to happen, the more you kind of appreciate how good his kind of performance is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so just how this scene ends, suddenly um, the kitchen guy, whose name I can't remember, but he's the guy who runs, rolls around on roller skates, listening I to think, very superstitious. I think his name's Niles or something, isn't it? Niles, Niles? He's not, yeah, yeah, I was trying to figure out, again, all these weird names, but yeah, Niles, <laughs> that'll do. So he comes in and he's like, who's been putting their dirty long johns in my kitchen? <laughs> and he's got this fucking skanky-ass pair of fucking long johns in his hand. And fuck, I, this bit, I don't know why, I've never understood this part for the movie but Mac takes them and he kind of mm. stares at them and he puts them down but like <laughs> later on in the movie he's just sat there with them and he's just playing with them so I want to be playing yeah, I with haggard <laughs> I wondered that as well it's like his comfort blanket isn't he he's sort of there fondling this pair of long johns <laughs> yeah it's like that fucking that kid Charlie Brown with his fucking blanket isn't he he's just yeah. walking around <laughs> yeah I did think that was weird as well Bredwell you're not the only one there we get we get Blair now, and he, he's on his eighties fucking computer, which seems to be a running theme in these podcasts we do. Probably because they're eighties films, so that's why. Um, <laughs> and he finds out there's a seventy five percent chance that someone's been infected by the thing. We'll call it the thing. That's what the film's called. Um, and 
there's um what was it you said you said to me a minute ago before we started recording the the chance of infection of the whole fucking planet it's like bloody coronavirus isn't it yeah, yeah, he's running this simulator that looks like the shittest game of Arkanoid you've ever seen on his computer. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, like Asteroids. <laughs> do you remember Asteroids? That's what it reminds me of. I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's running this simulation with his stopwatch, and fuck me, I hope, he must have been there like all night for how slow that screen's moving. <laughs> but either way, he works out that it's going to be, if this thing got to the mainland, uh, the whole human race would be infected about 27,000 hours after the first contact. And he's kind of just sat there thinking to himself, and then he pulls a gun out of his um his little desk drawer he does indeed yeah i mean well i don't have a desk drawer anymore but i certainly don't have guns in mind but i guess you know each to their own back there <laughs> yeah and this is where we get that cut of now mac he's just kind of sat there pondering to himself and he's drinking his whiskey and he's just playing with these long johns and he's just like running his like <laughs> fingers across them really weird and um his bottle of whiskey's empty so it must have been about 24 hours, and he's gone through a whole... And this is a big bottle of whiskey as well. It's like Jane B, isn't it? Jim Bean. Yeah, um, yeah it's a big old bottle. And he's um, done that. And then he gets a call through on like, the comm that they want him to move some of his stuff out of the, um, the, the, the holding room because they want to put the corpses and the, um, the mutated body in there for storage. So he goes along and they start doing that. And they wheel this body in there, the big mutated one, and it's Windows and a little ginger dude they're both kind of just left in there and you see the hand drop down from under the blanket and then liquid dripping off of its fingers indicating that this creature might still be alive in one form or another. Yeah, it's Bennings is the name of the ginger guy. I'm just looking at Bennings. my notes here. Yeah, because Fuchs, Fuchs asked um, Mac to go outside and talk to him. So that leaves Bennings on his own with the mutated body, doesn't it? And that's when you see the blood and that dripping off it. And I think it even possibly moves slightly under the blanket it's under, doesn't it? Yeah, so it gives this indication, and these two have both got their back to it. And then Windows, he's off doing something, and we sort of follow him back into the room, and he's like, oh, um, you say his name was Bennings, the ginger dude? Yeah. Yeah, he's like looking for him, and then he looks to the corner, and Bennings is like being, I don't know, splooged. But the thing is, he's kind of being, he's morphing or something. He's like got his yeah, clothes on, but weird, something's happening. Yeah, yeah. He's, he, he, I don't know what he looks like. He looks like Mr. Blobby almost. And he's got like <laughs> tentacles around him, hasn't he? He's just sat on his chair looking all sort of pink and blomongy with like tentacles around him. <laughs> Fuck you, Mr. Blobby. <laughs> <laughs> we're not doing this film justice, are we? <laughs> but... We're not, no, fucking, we're bringing Crinkly Bottom and fucking Noel Edmonds into it now. <laughs> that, that's just all I could think of, just off the top of my head then, because he is sort of all pink, isn't he? Like, I don't know, and he's just got these tentacles around him. Windows obviously fucking panics. And goes running you would, off. wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, so, yeah, so he, he fucking legs it. Yeah, he goes and gets old. Uh, I think he gets Mac and Fuchs, doesn't he? But when he comes back, well, when they all come back, uh, Bennings isn't there. There's just nothing in the chair, if I remember rightly. Yeah, and he's he's like desperate, like Windows, like no, he was right here, man. The fucking you know something had him. He was doing whatever, and then one of them looks out the window. Oh, he's outside, he's outside. So they go running out there and um, Bennings is like running off towards like, well, fucking nothing because there's nothing out there really, but he's running away <laughs> from the base. And they catch up with him and he, he drops to his knees and they're like, Bennings, are you okay? And then he kind of leans backwards and you see he's normal apart from his hands. They're like these big fucking, I don't know, 
flippers or something. I don't like know big, what they're supposed to be. Glory things, aren't they? But like flipper sized almost. And he makes yeah, a god awful noise, doesn't he? He just screams, but it's a really weird noise. Yeah, it's it's, oh, it's hard to describe it, isn't it? Really, mm, but this is impossible. one of the things that um, I was going to ask you about. So obviously, we know the thing can imitate people like pretty much perfectly. Why couldn't it speak at this point? I mean, is it just because they it knows that they know it's the thing and it hasn't had a chance to finish its transformation? But it makes this fucking horrible noise, like it's panicking mm. or something. But you would have thought it might have tried to speak to him or something. I don't know. I just always thought. Yeah, Why would it no. not try and communicate or trick them, maybe? Yeah, that's a good point. And maybe it is because it hasn't quite finished because like, it's, it hasn't quite got his hands right. As it, it's completely fucked them up. <laughs> They're still thing-like. But yeah, the noise he makes is, is horrible, isn't it? But like, it's, it's not a scream. I don't really know how to describe it. Yeah, it just sounds like really... I know it sounds weird, but I mean, you get it's like really windy weather, like the way mm. wind rips through like trees and stuff and it makes that really howling type noise. It's something like that, but... Like if you were watching this film in surround sound or had headphones on, you'd fucking you'd <laughs> want to turn it down, wouldn't you? It's horrible. Yeah, it is. So um, Mac just fucking kicks over like a fuel thing, doesn't he? And just chucks a flare over there to burn him. Obviously, they they know it's not actually Bennings. I think his name is Bennings. I could be completely wrong, but I'm sure it is Bennings. That's what we're going to call him anyway. He's dead now anyway, so it don't really matter. <laughs> no offence to him. Yeah, so now they're all kind of like they... They know Bennings is dead, and then they're, they're kind of having these little discussions, and they're all a bit panicked. So then they decide the best thing to do would be to burn all the bodies that they know are contaminated. So they bring out the big fucking weird mutated thing, and all <laughs> the other bodies and bits and pieces. And then they sort of dig like a big hole in the snow, put them in there, and then they burn them. And then they're sort of all just kind of stood around, um, trying to figure out like what the fuck's going on, really. And this is where the doc just flips out, isn't it? And he's like, they're like, where's the dog? And he's like smashing up the fucking radio shack. He's going fucking mental. He's like got got an axe, and he? he's going crazy. And um, apparently he's he's smashed up the chopper. He's killed some dogs, and um, he's got a gun. He's shooting at people. Is it is it Blair who's doing this? Yeah, Blair. And I swear Windows is in there because he's the radio man. He's like on the yes, floor. He is. Um, he's carrying in the corner. Him over the edge. Yeah. yeah. And when um someone says, you know, the doc's gone mad or Blair's gone mad. He's killed the Huskies. Then Clark legs it off because he's obviously the, the dog lover guy. He runs off that way. And I, yeah, Blair's basically in there. And he's got this gun and he's just like going, that thing didn't want to be us. He wanted to go somewhere <laughs> else. And he's just doing all this fucking weird stuff. And then there's, there's a bit that always cracks me up. And I tend to do this. I used to do this when I played online. But the way he says it always makes me laugh. But it's like, he pulls out his gun. He's like, I kill you. And just starts fucking <laughs> shooting at McCready. Like, yeah. I don't know what it is about the way he says it. It's just fucking funny. It is quite comical, but he's like properly smashing up the, the radios and everything with this axe and taking the odd pot shot at McCready and some of the other guys. And then eventually about three of them, McCready being one of them, I think, they all kind of managed to restrain him and stuff. And there's some really fake punch sounds. I don't know if you've noticed it. I noticed yeah. watching it last night. It's like <laughs> cartoon punch noises. They're like, hitting him and sort of knocking him to the ground. So they do actually manage to restrain him in the end before he actually kills anyone. I mean, it looks like he's giving Windows a bit of a smack in the head. But other than that, everyone's all right. But yeah, that was really fake. So they take him off to the tool shed now, don't they? They sedate him and lock him in there. Um, And Mac's left in there with him. And he tells Mac he doesn't know who to trust, but to watch Clark and watch him close. Because he knows Clark was alone with the dog. And he thinks that, you know, 
he could have been infected. So, um, and he's got this little bottle of vodka I noticed in the old fucking Mac, not like content with drinking a whole bottle of whiskey, fucking nicks a swig out of his little bottle of vodka he's got as well. I know. And he's really like, I love the dialogue, um, again, that Mac comes out with here. She's like, uh, yeah, Blair's, oh, I just don't know who to trust. And yeah, like you say, Mac takes a swig of his um, vodka and he's like, why don't you just trust in the Lord? And then he fucking yeah. puts his drink down just, and fuggers off. Just walks off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A, word, a word there as well. Um, sorry, I just didn't interrupt, but like, Mac's done this whole fucking bottle of whiskey, but he's still doing all right, isn't he? He's not wonky or like wobbling. I'd be fucking, if I'd have drunk that bottle, <laughs> it's a big old fucking, at least a litre and a half, I'd be fucking, I'd be asleep. Yeah, he's obviously used to it. I mean, I, I guess when, you know, when you drink that much, it just kind of becomes normal, doesn't it? He's obviously got a bit of a problem. Yeah, I mean, with a beard like he's got in this movie, you know he must be hardcore. So, yeah, maybe he's channeling channeling a bit of, like, Scotland, Scotland in him. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. So now we find they are completely cut off because fucking Blair smashed all the radios up. Not that any of them seem to be working anyway, as Windows alluded to earlier. Um, and the paranoia starts to kick in quite badly now. They don't know who's human. They're getting really fucking antsy with each other, and no one trusts anyone, do they? Yeah, th- this is where the, the psychological side of this really comes in. I think they mm. all do it really well, because some of them are like, you got Childs who's like, you know, uh, giving it all large and getting all leery. you got the others who are just kind of standing there looking shifty, eyes darting left and right and shaking and stuff. And I think it's a really good mix when they're all stood around in that circle and they're all talking or, and arguing. It really does make you think as a viewer. It's like, so who's who and what's going on here? Yeah, definitely. So Matt asks if there's some kind of test they can do, like a blood contamination test. And he tells everyone they've got to watch Clark, I think, at this point, because they're all around in a group. But they, when they go to find the blood, because they're going to do this test to see Apparently there is a test that can tell if you're you're infected. The blood store's been broken into, but it's been broken into with a key, hasn't it? So someone didn't smash it open. They actually unlocked it with the key. So then the paranoia kicks in again about who's had the fucking key, who's got the key, who had access to it. And they're properly arguing about it. And then Windows just fucking runs off, doesn't he, and smashes a gun cabinet and grabs a gun. And he starts completely losing it. Yeah. I think this bit's really good because um, you've got like it's the chief, isn't it? You've got Gary, mm. uh, the other doctor, and then I think it's Fuchs as well. They're all arguing because like you've got a key, yeah, but you get access to it, and you've been here on several occasions. And the way it's the blame game, isn't it? They're all just like pointing fingers at each other, and like yeah, you say, yeah. Windows just fucking after being conked on the head <laughs> and seeing everything, he just fucking has a breakdown and let's say bolts for a shotgun. Yeah, they do manage to to talk him down there before he does any damage with the gun. But yeah, um, going back to the, the key part, it's quite good because Gary kind of becomes the main suspect now, doesn't he? Everyone's sort of really thinking he's he's not trustworthy because he was the main person who had the key and they're all kind of trying to blame him. And even he looks a bit sketchy at this point to give you the sort of thought that maybe he is dodgy. Yeah, because this is... Because um, they're stood there. They Obviously, like I say, they talk windows down. Gary's got his gun out pointing it at windows and then he turns it on the others and he's like, I didn't steal that blood. Um, I didn't do anything to hurt anyone. And then he kind of stops and he's like, but maybe you'll all feel better if someone else is in charge. And he hands his gun over to McCready, doesn't it? Obviously trying to earn a little bit of trust back, which um, yeah. which I think one of the mechanics the game had, wasn't it? When people are freaking out, you had to choose if you, you armed them to make them trust you or you disarmed them because you thought they were going to turn on you. But he kind of does that to try and get a bit of face with 
obviously his comrades and Childs jumps in, doesn't he? Trying to get hold of the gun, be like, I'll be in charge. And Max, like, no, no, we need someone who's a bit more even tempered. But I do like this whole dynamic here where it starts to be like, who can you trust? Yeah, it's really good. And um, it's one of the things that, it, although it's a major part of the film, some people might forget about because it's all about, you know, the thing itself. And the first time you watch it, that's the bits you kind of take away, isn't it? Just the actual practical effects and stuff. But the whole, it's not so much a psychological horror because there's too much other things going on, but it's certainly a massive psychological part in the film. There is, yeah. And I remember I have read, well, I actually listened to it on Audible and the book focuses a lot more on the psychological side of things than like the the horror as such. Um, yeah, so it is a very key undertone to this movie. And I think, it, like you say, it's one that I think some people might overlook, but it is obviously without it, the crux of the movie isn't really there. It's just another monster movie, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now we find out there's a storm hitting in six hours. So they're going to find out basically who's who, who's infected, who's not. And they, they give the doc some morphine now for some reason. They just give him a little bit of morphine to chill him out. You know, fair play. Probably would have been <laughs> quite quite a nice little relaxant, you know, everything going on. I probably would have put my hand up for some. I don't know about yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by that stage, I'd probably take anything. I mean, Max had all the fucking whiskey, hadn't he? So I'd go with whatever else I could get my hand on. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of Mac, he's recording some kind of blog um, and he's saying he's going to hide the tape in case no one makes it. So there'll be a record of what actually happened. Um, I think this he might be fondling the long johns at this point again as well. Yeah, he, um, this is another good, um, bit, good bit of um, acting by Kurt Russell because he's just sat in this sort of room alone and he's like saying, you know, we found some shredded long johns. We don't know who they belong to. Um, no one trusts each other anymore and we're all very tired. And he just like, mm. like him himself as an actor, he just looks exhausted, doesn't he really? His eye, I mean, fucking hell, he's done a bottle of whiskey so his eyes would be red. <laughs> but he just looks like he's just fucking ready to drop almost. But the way he kind of delivers this recording into the tape recorder is, um, is pretty good. I quite like it. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, definitely. We get we get a bit of a jump scare now as well. I think it's Fuchs. Someone sort of runs past him, and it's like it's like, whoa! It made me jump a little bit last night because it's quite sort of sedate when old uh, McCready's talking and stuff, doing his blog, and then it just cuts to this like, whoa moment. And um, so Fuchs goes outside. He lights a flare and goes outside, and this is when he finds um, the Long Johns with McCready's name in it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He finds the shredded Long Johns with him in. So I think the idea was is um. What, you know, you say he, they didn't sedate, they gave the morphine to the doctor. I think everyone who would have had that key, they they tie up, don't they? And they kind of like chill him out a little bit just because they're obviously key yeah. suspects at the moment. Um, yeah, he goes outside and he finds the Long Johns. Um, but you don't really see like what happens next. It kind of just cuts back, doesn't it? Like he discovers these Long Johns and then it cuts back to indoors. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit, it's almost like a like the fly last week, a missing part. It seems to jump a little bit here. Um, he wants them to sort of team up and everything, Mac. Now he's trying to get them together, but they're so fucking paranoid. They're just not a team anymore, are they? Everyone's just like, doesn't trust anyone. And they're just all fucking bickering and accusing everyone of not being right. And it's properly like the paranoia and the whole isolation is really playing a big part now, isn't it? It is, yeah, because they're like, well, I'm not going with Clark and I'm not going with him and fuck that, I'm not going to turn my back there. And there's, um, again, thinking about like this uh, this place that they're at, some of them don't even look like they belong there because that one guy, isn't there, the kind of guy who's always just smoking weed, he's got like the denim 
vest jacket on or something. He looks like a really shit Hell's Angel. Um, <laughs> but he's fucking useless. He does nothing throughout the whole movie. He doesn't look like he has a fucking role to play there. He's just always there making like stupid little comments. And he's just sat there like waffling on. But it's like, what fucking job do you do? Like, we know Max, the pilot at least, and obviously we've got a doctor and a chief and bits and that. But some of them are just fucking weird. They're like just there to be killed, I think. Yeah, I think they are. They're just cannon fodder, aren't they, in a way? Um, Matt goes out to see Blair now, and he, he's got like a noose, hasn't he? He's out in the shed on his own. It's just a fucking noose hanging from the ceiling. And he's like, Yeah, and he, Mac doesn't say anything about it. He no. He's fucking like, Have you seen Dukes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, Mac, um, old uh, Blair's like, I don't want to be outside anymore. I don't want to stay out here and stuff. And he says, There's nothing wrong with Fuchs. There's nothing wrong with him. It's not him. Um, and he's like, I want to come in, I want to come in, I won't harm anybody. And he's properly giving it large to Matt. And he's looking at him through this little hatch in the door and he just shuts the hatch and walks off and leaves him there. Yeah. And then they, um, they're splitting up to go in packs. Like, Max kind of, like, shooking them all just before this. Like, he's, like, kind of, like, you know, you fucking get your act together, you watch who you're with, and you come back here in 15 minutes. But then they find the body of Fuchs, don't they? It's all burning yeah. crispy. The only reason they know it's him is because his glasses are there. And they were like, you know, why would he burn himself? And then Max like, well, maybe the, he burned himself before the thing could get to him. So he's kind of croaked it off screen after finding Max Long John's. <laughs> um, so now Mac tells, I think it's Windows to go back indoors and tell Charles to batten down the place. Yeah. And then he's going to head up to his um his shack, isn't he? Because um the the light's on and he turned it off when he came down yesterday morning. So he goes yeah. up there with Knowles, I think it is. Yeah, he's Knowles. Yeah, him and yeah, they both go up to the the shack from uh, District Nine. (laughs) You put that in your shack. (laughs) Um, So we cut to indoors, and they're kind of boarding everything up um, as best they can. They're doing a really shit job of putting these beams across these doors, though, aren't they? They're fucking (laughs) flimsy. They're not going to stop anything. My cat will get through that. (laughs) There's like a little montage almost, isn't there, of them sort of boarding things up and stuff, and. It's kind of like Alien 3 style when they're trying to lure the, uh, lure the alien, isn't it? Little clips of each of them nailing shit. But yeah, like you say, there's certainly um, no woodworkers or like experts, are they? That sort of thing. Yeah. So um, they're just sort of getting to the point where they've nearly uh, boarded up all like the main places, I suppose. Then old Knowles comes in, like fucking huffing and puffing and looking <laughs> desperate. They're like, he, looks no like, he looks like Chewbacca in, when he's in hot, doesn't he? He's all <laughs> yeah. fucking frozen with ice all around him. <laughs> like the fucking frosty moustache and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so he comes in and he's on his knees like, and he's going really over the top with the act and he's like, oh, I, I can't get down here. I don't know what happened. It's like fucking really giving it large and they're like, where's Mac? And he's like, I cut him loose. I found his long johns. I cut him loose. <laughs> <laughs> so they think um, Max the thing because old um, Knowles is like splurted out that he's um, found the long john so he suspected him up by the shack so he cut him loose and ran then we see the door handle twisting of McCready trying to get in then another fucking argument erupts doesn't it and they're like well should we let him in should we not yeah. how do we know it's if he is the thing and one of them's like you know we, we let him in he's here we can blow him away nice and quick and the rest of them are like no just let him freeze out there and then they hear a smash of a window and he's coming in through now the back room. So they go running round and the door's locked. So fucking Charles gets his axe 
and he just suddenly just goes into a cycle. He's like, you're a dead man, McCready. He just starts fucking <laughs> swinging at this door like a fucking lunatic. And that's probably one of my favourite catchphrases from the movie, just the way he starts screaming. He's, he's like, ever since I've known you, you've always come out with that line quite often. It's one of your little catchphrases you read off quite often. But yeah, it's a great yeah. line, isn't it? I mean, it's such a simple line, but it's just the way he delivers it. Also, like they're fucking arguing so much about shall we or shan't we let him in. He just fucking lets himself in anyway. <laughs> yeah, no. So after um they've kind of busted into this like back room, McCready's there with a fucking flamethrower and a massive bloody handful of dynamite. Again, well, it's a flare, like isn't it? He hasn't got the flamethrower. He's got the... yeah, he does look like Chewy. <laughs> Steve, his beard's all like <laughs> fucking frosty. So he's yeah, now he's... like you know everyone back away. I've got dynamite. I've got the flare, and I'll let this whole fucking place go up if you don't back off. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a scuffle now, isn't there? Um, and I, I think it's Norris, isn't it, his name? Again, I could be completely wrong. But he gets knocked over and he stops breathing. And this is obviously one of the most iconic scenes we're building up to here. But before we get there, like they say he stopped breathing, but they're not particularly urgent in getting him anywhere to sort of sort him out, are they? They're like, oh, he stopped breathing. Um, right, right, we need to sort of make him start breathing again. They're all sort of ambling around. I'm like, fuck me, the guy stopped breathing, sort him out. Yeah, because when they were doing that montage, you know, there's a couple of shots of him you can see, and he stops, and he's like, ooh. And he looks like mm. he's like having a pain in his shoulder, like indicating that maybe he's like close to having a heart attack or something. But yeah, he kind of proper goes down here. I guess the problem is, is yeah, like they're not urgent, but they've fucking tied up and doped the doctor with morphine, haven't they? Oh, yeah, really? So they haven't got any <laughs> fucking experts there, but it wouldn't take an expert to realise, you know, maybe we should try and do something. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're now coming to, I'd say, the most iconic scene in the film. I don't know if you would agree, but it's certainly yeah, yeah. for me. Um, it, I, it's hard to describe unless you've seen the film. We're not going to do it justice because it is one of the probably the best practical effects, I think, in a movie, I would say. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you probably agree. Yeah, I think this and the sequence that follows it. Yeah, they're both. There's a bit here that it's one of those scenes. It's like. It's like Dallas in the air vents. Even though I know it's coming and I've seen it a mm. hundred times, it always just gets me. It makes me jump. So they get, they go and untie the dock and they take um, Norris in and they sort of like take his jumper off. They put him on the table and the fucking dock gets on there and he starts doing like um, a CPR and then he gets the defib machine and he's like giving him large of that and trying to shock him awake. And then it does this amazing shot where like it's kind of like an over the top and he goes down to shock him and Norris's whole chest just opens up with teeth, doesn't it? And bites the guy's yeah. hands off. Yeah. And that bit always just makes me fucking jump when it happens. Yeah. It gives it a couple of goes of the defib. It's not, not many. And then it just happens. And I'm always waiting for it. And it happens quicker than I think every time. So only, I think he only pumps him twice with the defib before it opens up. And when his hands go down into his chest, I don't know how they've done it, but it almost looks like his chest is almost like endless. Does that make sense? There's no, it doesn't look like. It's inside a body. It's almost like he's gone down into a massive fucking well or something. I was going to say that. It's like there's a fucking black hole in there or something, mm. isn't there? Like, yeah. I mean, it's obviously the effect they've used. It's kind of a bit of digital, pre pre-rendered, and then obviously yeah. practical without the chest open. But yeah, it is really odd. It looks like he's about to like go down into like, like you say, <laughs> down the fucking or well something. or something. Yeah, yeah, it's mad. But it, it bites his fucking hands off, and obviously he pulls them up, and there's blood splurting everywhere. And um, obviously, then um, old Norris's head starts coming off. And yeah, this doesn't look amazing now, but I still think it looks good, certainly for the time. And it, when it's stretching and it's all coming off, and then it goes onto the floor, then it falls off, and its tongue wraps around a fucking 
chair and he starts pulling himself along and then the spider legs come out. And no one seems to notice this is happening, do they? No, I mean, I suppose they're kind of burning his main body, aren't they, at this yeah. point? Like, they set fire to it and obviously after the docs died, um, but they kind of to deal with him as well. But yeah, even with all that, they're like, where's his head gone? No one seems to notice. This and is... the, the head just kind of starts sprouting <laughs> legs and eyes, doesn't it? <laughs> There's two little yeah, beady I... eyes come out. I think when the legs come out, they look really good. When the eyes come out, it looks a bit corny. And then it kind of runs. In, you see the a close-up of all the guys still dealing with the fucking body and stuff. And you see the head sort of scurry off in the background. And I thought that looked a bit shitty the, like now. It looked a bit rubbish. And then one of them turns around and sees it. And he's like, you got to be fucking kidding me when he sees the head with the legs. I, I love that line. Yeah, no, it's really good. It's just one of those... It's delivered perfectly, and again, it's quite an mm. iconic line, just the way he says it. And then they all kind of turn around, and I was like, "What the fuck?" And this bit looks a little bit shitty as well because it's just in the doorway, staring at them. Like, it's not <laughs> making a run for it because the thing is all about preservation, but it's just stood there. So Mac blasts it with the um the flamethrower, and it just starts doing this little fucking dance, doesn't it? Yeah, like, does a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Old Mac loves his flamethrower, doesn't he? Well, like, to be fair, he does. Yeah, he? I mean, he's, he's like fucking Ripley, isn't he? He's always got it close at hand. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good old weapon, though, you know. Um, and it would have worked. In well, you say I say it would have worked. Maybe it wouldn't have done. It might have frozen. But anyway, he's he's good with the old flamethrower. And I guess it there's no fucking about of a flamethrower, is there? You're not really going to miss even. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Because like, um, they have the shotguns under lock and key. And I swear, at one <laughs> point they say, um, Gary's the only guy who should have a pistol. But you've got fucking Blair. He's got a pistol in his drawer. I swear a few yeah. other of them just like pull bloody pistols and like revolvers out of bloody thin air. So it's like, well, they're not that secure, are they? Even the, the shotguns, though, when old uh, Windows runs off, it's only a glass cabinet. It doesn't take much to break it and get one out, does it? They're not that secure. It might be locked up, but they're in a glass fucking cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. So now they've obviously, I think they take the body or. Yeah, I swear they take Norris's body out, don't they? And they burn it. And then Max, like, right, I've got um a plan. Because obviously he's still pissed off that they locked him outside. Well, so he pretty be. much gets... Yeah, you would be. You'd be pretty pissed <laughs> off. So he gets pretty much all of them tied up. And the only one who isn't is Windows at this point, I think. And he's come up with this idea that watching Norris's body, he, conclu- he kind of concludes that the thing every part of the thing is its own organism. Like it would try and defend itself. Like the head was separate from the body. So it mm. became its own organism. So if he takes a drop of blood from everyone and hits it with a hot needle, then if they're the thing, then that part of blood would act independently of the person and identify them, which is a pretty good plan, to be honest, you know, considering they've yeah. got not many other options. Yeah, I think it's a sound plan. Um, doesn't someone get shot in this scene as well? Doesn't Max shoot someone? <laughs> Yeah, because they try and rush him, don't they? Clark tries to rush him because he's like, you know, I want you, I'm going to tie you all up or get some of you to tie each other up. And um, Clark's like, no, let's just rush him. And then the rest are like, no, no, he's he's got the flamethrower and, he, and he's got a pistol as well at this point. So Clark hmm. rushes him and gets shot in the head. Yeah. Um, yeah for his troubles. Random. Yeah. I mean, obviously everyone's fucking spinning out and paranoid to shit. But yeah, he just fucking blows him away, doesn't he? Before he even gives him a chance to prove he's human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so now they got him tied up and he's got windows. He draws blood. And I'll tell you what, he's using his scalpel. Then he takes one of them's fucking thumb off by the looks of it, doesn't he? Like, he's supposed to do like a little cut into like a <laughs> little petri dish, but he slices all the way around underneath this guy's he nail. Does. I'd be like, fuck off. 
Yeah, he does. He fills up like the petri dish, pretty much. You don't need that much blood. Like, Fuck me, I need some for myself, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but Windows so, is the first to get tested, and he's all right, isn't he, Windows? Yeah, so Windows is okay. Um, McCready then tests himself, and he's okay. Then um, Copper, I've got written here as one of their names. Um, yeah. He gets tested. He might have been the other doctor, actually. And yeah. then he t- tests Clark's blood, who's obviously he just shot in the head. And everyone's starting to think, nah, this test is bullshit. And Charles is like being Charles, like, oh, well, yeah. you killed Clark. Um, that makes you a murderer and stuff. So they're all kind of like, and even on Mac's face, you can see like he's starting to have doubts that this is going to work because he's testing them and nothing's happening, isn't he? Yeah, I guess you would. You know, you'd be thinking, well, surely something would have happened by now. Yeah, Charles is like, it's a crack of shit. <laughs> he's not happy at all, is he? Yeah, <laughs> it's all rubbish. And then... um. What is it? Is Gary's like mouthing off, like going, Oh, you know, you're a son of a bitch and all this stuff. And he goes, I thought you'd say that, so I'm going to do you last. Yeah, he, he just keeps like this really like snidey. <laughs> and then I can't remember the name of the guy, but it's the fucking irritating guy who wears a denim jacket who doesn't seem to have a fucking rhyme <laughs> or reason. I've got it down here as Palmer. One thing I will say before we go on to what happens to Palmer, um, like conveniently, they've labeled all these petri dishes with their names. That happened pretty quickly, didn't it? Did someone quickly yeah. scribble out their names? Like, you know, when you do, like, fucking drawing names out of a hat, did someone just quickly write them all down and stick them on these Petri dishes? Because, you know, one minute they're, like, saying this isn't going to work. The next minute they've all got these nicely labelled Petri dishes to hand. Like, that's convenient. Yeah, it just, it just kind of cuts a little bit there, isn't it? No, <laughs> one, no one was really on admin duty that day, so they just managed no. to fucking materialise them. <laughs> yeah, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, so Max there doing this test, and then this is another little kind of jump scare. Mm. And you can kind of tell that it's a fake hand, can't you? Did you spot that? Like that the um the angle and the fact that it was a, a mannequin hand, not actually Kurt Russell's hand. Not really. I mean, I'll I'll say I wasn't paying massive attention. I kind of was typing and watching at the same time. I'm sure if I was giving it my hundred percent attention, I probably would have done. But no, not really. I might just want to things maybe just because I've I know it's there, so I always mm. spot it. But yeah, oh, if yeah. you look, you can kind of tell it's that. It's a good effect, though. Like, he's got the Petri dish, and he touches it with a needle, and suddenly there's, I don't know what it's supposed to be, like <laughs> a big fucking brain-shaped thing just suddenly splurges out and, like, squint, screams at him. And then old Palmer starts, like, having some kind of seizure, and his face starts melting, and all kinds of shit goes off. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly, isn't it, when his, his face starts melting and shit? It's, um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I'll say Razor's Lost Art, but it looks a lot better than that. Maybe, like, Robocop style, when the old dude starts melting. Yeah, yeah, it's really gnarly. Um, and then, so they're all tied up together and they've got this dude fucking transforming right in between <laughs> them. And he's like going, he's having like fucking jazz hands a lot. He's going completely fucking flappy and transforming. And then Mac kind of goes to shoot him with a flamethrower, but now his flamethrower cocks up. And this thing, literally, it stands up and then it jumps to the ceiling. And Windows, who's got the other flamethrower, stands right underneath it. Like, walks <laughs> forward and just stands right underneath it. And then it jumps down. Its head splits into two into this massive mouth and then just starts eating him, which, again, is pretty fucking brutal. But it's like, why would you stand right underneath him, you bellend? There's two, two bits here. The, the conveniently jamming flamethrower that, you know, Mac, the one time he really needed it, you know, it doesn't work. Typical fucking horror movie. And also, when um, when it splits, like you say, Windows is a fucking sitting duck anyway, just standing underneath it. But when it grabs him and starts shaking him around, his body looks so fake. You can tell it's like a dummy, can't you? Yeah, it's like a fucking Guy Fawkes or something, yeah. isn't it? It's, like fucking, it's really flappy. Yeah. There's no bones or anything. It's just like fucking, like you say, like a doll just being flapped around. 
but it is still pretty gnarly. It is, yeah, I mean, it's such a bloodthirsty scene, and like this, again, can't do it justice, but you kind of, this big head that splits open, it bites Window's head, and it kind of lifts him up, so he's almost like, imagine him doing a handstand on top mm. of him, and like, he's, his legs are flapping around, hitting the <laughs> ceiling, and they're just sort of dancing around, doing this little fucking jig, while McCready kind of gets his flamethrower sorted. Um, and then McCready kind of chases the obviously um, Palmer's one outside, finishes it off, and it then just um, kind of spits windows out, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, yeah. It kind of like spits him across the floor and then legs it. So Mac finishes it, and then Child starts calling him because now Windows is starting to transform. It's like a sort of vampire or something. Once you've been bitten, you turn. Mm. So he comes in and he blows away Windows or what's left of him. And then they're all kind of sit there, shit in their pants, realizing, okay, maybe this test isn't fake. And they carry on, and no one else um, is the thing, as it turns out. But they all no. seem really nervous, don't they? Like Childs, particular when they put the needle in, it's like yeah. I don't know if they, I don't know if you're supposed to know if you're the thing or not. Exactly. But yeah, they're all like panicking. That's what I was thinking. Would you actually know? Because you're going to start shitting in. It's like, no, not being funny, but when you go for any kind of test, and you kind of know the answer, but you are still a little bit nervous just in case, aren't you? And you fucking would be because you definitely wouldn't want to be this thing. That's it. And I was, um, that's one of the things I was going to mention to you. So like, say, say there's two things like mm. in this group, do you think they would work together or they would be completely like self, like obviously, um, like just out for themselves, basically, yeah. like they throw another one under the bus if it meant that they wouldn't get discovered or would like the things eventually all work together I don't know. That's a really good point. Um, obviously, um, Blair's amazing little asteroids game he had said obviously infection would take over, but like, would then they all be out fucking each other all over, you know, or would they be like aliens again, going back to the great where they do all kind of team up and work together. Yeah, that's a really good point, brother. I didn't think of that because eventually if they did take over the whole world, that's all it would be left. So they would start fucking each other over. I mean, look at the human race. We fuck each other over. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a nightmare. So it's like, I just don't know, like, the thing. And again, like, if you say you were a thing and, like, your hand got cut off and then that became another entity, mm. would you still, again, would that just turn on you? Would it be its own thing or would it still associate itself with you to a degree? I just always thought the thing was quite an interesting entity just to wonder, like, how it would actually, how it would actually work, really, if there was more than one of them at any time. Yeah, something that could have possibly been explored in sequels but probably good job there wasn't sequels because as we know nine times out of ten they don't really go very well no they don't so now they've kind of collected themselves there's not many of them left um they decide that they want to go out and give the doc um fuck what's his name blair blair that's the one they want to give uh blair the test and find out if he is the thing or not so child is kind of standing vigil and max like if he comes back and he's not with us then obviously let him have it so they head out to the shack, the shack, <laughs> um, but Blair's nowhere to be seen. So they go indoors and they find that some of the floorboards are a bit loose. Now, this is a little bit fucking far-fetched, if mm. you ask me, as much as I, I do enjoy this movie. Yeah. He's managed to tunnel this amazing, like, it looks like obviously you've had proper machinery down there doing it because they can stand up, but he's done this massive tunnel underground and built this kind of layer and he's built half a bloody spaceship. Like, out of what? And in the space of two or three hours, how has all this happened? I'm 100% with you here. And this is the one part of the film that starts to lose it a little bit for me. I'll talk about that right at the end. 
Yeah, I totally agree. This doesn't really add up at all. The fact that he's not had much time and he's built fucking Concord underneath this fucking shack. Yeah, and it's not even like he's done a fucking a shit job of it. I mean, it looks pretty cool. And again, it's another cool practical effect. It looks like a tiny like miniature of the one we saw at the start. But it's like, mm. how would you have even dug that fucking hole that perfectly and that big in the first place? Let alone, where have you been to get all this stuff? It's just, well, they say, yeah, this they bit say, just kind of stands out. They say he's been taking parts from the helicopter and stuff because at one point, a bit earlier on, Mac goes out there and he notices bits of it are missing. I think it's Mac. It might be one of the other guys. Um, and he's been stealing bits from that, and he's been stealing bits from one of the diggers or something they've got. But when's he been doing all this? It, this is really quite a big plot hole, I find. It's a bit unfortunate, really. It is, yeah, especially when you consider the timeline. And it is hard to tell exactly. I mean, it's no more than 48 hours, I don't think, this movie. like No, I wouldn't have thought so. The time scale. So he's been out there 24 hours, let's just say, for argument's sake, probably less than that. There's no way he would have been able to do all this without one of them seeing him and no. just not been able to do it in general, really. Well, he's locked in a fucking shack for a start, so how's he been going out there? <laughs> yeah, especially considering they've been checking in on him and he's just been tying a fucking noose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so this kind of brings us to like the end phase of the movie because now they've got to basically find the dock because as long as he's out there and he's on the loose, they know he's the thing. Um, they need to obviously try and stop him, basically. So they come up with this idea to go and look for him, but they don't want him to go out and freeze because that's all the thing wants. If it can freeze and go back to sleep, then it can be discovered and try again another day. They need to find it and actually defeat it, basically. Yeah. They just start randomly blowing shit up now, don't they? They're just blowing parts of the camp and that up. Yeah, and I swear at this part, actually, um, when they're in the shack, they see Childs come out of the the main place, don't they? And he goes running off somewhere because he's got the mm. flamethrower and they're like, oh shit, we don't know where Childs is. So at this point, it's just Knowles, um, Gary and Mac. But yeah, they just go down to like the generator room and just start blowing everything up and throwing dynamite and fuck knows else what around. Yeah, he, Mac basically says, you know, they're not going to survive now. They've realised that. They've completely isolated themselves. They've got no contact with the outside world. So they're going to die. So let's bring this thing down with them, basically, is their sort of plan now, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, I suppose that's all you would do, really, isn't it? You just think, well, we can't let this thing get back to the mainland. So you've got to make like the ultimate sacrifice, really. Yeah. So they're, they're like down in this tunnel and then, they're rigging up this kind of big charge by the generator. And like, you know, this thing will blow this place sky high and the fire will burn for a while, meaning that obviously it won't be able to freeze if it's hiding somewhere. So they sort of send off. There's one of those things like, right, there's three, three tunnels. So we're going to split up, you know, and each go down one. So they do that. And it's the cop, isn't it? Gary, he finds mm. Blair and Blair. This is a pretty cool effect. It kind of, he grabs him by the face, doesn't he? And his yeah. fingers start going into his skin and into his yeah. mouth or something, and it just looks pretty brutal. But, yeah, Blair's out there, and he just kind of, like, face-huggers this, this cop. <laughs> yeah, he does. He, he's face, like I say, his fingers go under his skin, and he sort of starts pulling it. And then you see him sort of dragging him along by his face. It looks like he's got stocking over his head almost, and he's just pulling it along by it, doesn't <laughs> it, in the background? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does look like it does look a bit rough. It reminds me of that bit in the blob when it comes out of the drain and grabs that guy by the face. It just looks like a big fucking... <laughs> <laughs> don't know, just a big squirt of cum or something like that. Yeah, well, Mac gets a bit spooked out at this point and he, he sort of hears some shit, so he just lights some dynamite. And this seems to be 
the longest fucking dynamite ever in the history of the world. I mean, I don't know how long dynamite burns for before it blows up, but this goes on for a long time, doesn't it? So it doesn't doesn't go this fucking long, I don't think. Considering <laughs> the fuse only looks to be about like three or four inches. Yeah, he's literally holding his dynamite for a good minute or so. And it, the fuse doesn't seem to be going down at all, does it? No, because we don't actually see what happens to Knowles, do we? I don't think. I can't remember. No. Like, I think they just think he goes missing. I think that's Gary goes looking for him and then... Um, Blair finds him and like sticks his hand through his face. Yeah, no, but, yeah, we don't actually see the again. conclusion of Knowles. No, I think that that's game over for him. We just got to assume that he gets blown up in a minute. I suppose I don't know. Yeah, so this is kind of like the um, the kind of monster showdown. So Mac, mm. he's got this bit of dynamite, and then the floorboards start like flipping up, and this looks pretty cool. The way it's kind of rushing towards him, and the floorboards are lifting up again. It's a bit like Jaws, isn't it? But on land, yeah. Jaws or tremors in, in on ice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> tremors on ice. Don't want to see Kevin Bacon ice skating, do we? Not really. <laughs> I'm sure we've talked about that before. <laughs> but, uh, there we go. And then um, I'm not quite sure if I like this bit or not, but um, this fucking monster just bursts mm. out from under the the ground, and it's fucking huge, and it's kind of got a giant dog's head. And parts of it start splitting open, and you can kind of see like the faces and the um, the bodies of all the things it's been before. And I don't know if this is supposed to reveal because you never actually see what the thing looks like, do you? No, it's always just the thing. It's whatever it's is at that point over. in time. Yeah, this is. I'm glad you said that because I'm exactly the same. This is a very fifty-fifty for me. I'm like, I'm not sure if I like it. It's although we've seen the monster side of things and everything, but it's been taken over whatever it's tried to take over. But this just, it's that typical, I wouldn't say Hollywood because it wasn't really a Hollywood blockbuster, but it's that kind of um, big monster ending, isn't it? And I'm not sure it fits with the rest of the film. Yeah. It's a little bit just too on the nose, isn't it? Like mm. you say, it's obviously that Hollywood thing. We've got a big bad guy right at the end, but I don't know how you would have done it. Like maybe it would have just been a showdown between maybe a half mutated Blair yeah. and McCready instead of this big fucking monster. But in the end, McCready with his infinite dynamite, <laughs> he kind of ducks out the way because it takes a swipe at him and he throws a dynamite and he's like, yeah, fuck you too. And it, he catches it, doesn't he? The, the thing kind of goes inside him and then the dynamite blows up and the whole place goes up in a big fucking spectacular explosion. And yeah. that's the end of the thing, as far as we know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's an explosive end, but I think it's a bit of a, I don't know, anyway, we'll talk about that when we do our final score. So there's one just last bit of the film now, really, isn't there? Um, Childs and Mac are both outside in the ice, and um, they just sort of share a bottle of whiskey and say they're just going to kind of sit there, and that's pretty much it, isn't it? <laughs> in a nutshell. Yeah, because... Yeah, because Mac's kind of just hungered down, exhausted, and Childs comes along, and then Mac kind of is like, where did you go? And he's like, oh, I thought I saw Blair, so I chased him. And then, like you say, he's just like, oh, well, maybe we should just... Um... They said, oh, it'll get really cold around here soon, and they're like, yeah, well, maybe we'll just wait a while. And I always yeah. wondered, like... So I don't think Childs is the thing, because he's still got an ear piercing, and surely he wouldn't have that piercing if he became the mm. thing. But I actually wonder if, like, I've always thought it's Mac the thing at this point, because now he's the one who's going, oh, I actually just want to sit around and wait for it to get cold. Yeah. It's kind of a weird ending, isn't it? I mean, it's not really closure. The thing as such is dead. But like you say, either one of those two, but probably more likely Mac, because he was in quite close contact with it as well when he blew it up. Um, but yeah, he just says, maybe we should just wait here a while and see what happens. 
and he just um, gives him a bit of whiskey, Childs, doesn't he? He just hands it to him. Charles has a little swig, and then it ends. Yeah, the music kicks in, and then it just fades out. Actually, not... um, sorry, carry on. No, I was going to say, it's not quite as abrupt as the fly ending last week, but it's still, oh, God, yeah. it's still quite a weird ending, I thought. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, going back to what I was saying, like, if there was more than one thing, would they, like, fuck each other over for the sake of their own survival? And maybe when um, Fuchs found those shredded long johns, maybe it was really Mac, and he has been the thing all this time. He's just obviously been doing a much better job of blending in mm. and persuading people. Like, he's been, he's been playing him all along, so Mac is the thing, and he has been near enough since about the halfway mark. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Who knows? It's probably one of those open-ended things, and I'm sure we're discussing it now. People still discuss it 40 years later because it is very open-ended, isn't it? Anything could have happened. It is, yeah. So, um, shall we have a look at giving this one a score then, JT? I reckon so, Brad Roll. Just one thing before we give it a score. I was looking at the Metacritic score, and um, it's only got 53 and there's some very high scores, but New York Times and Chicago Reader both gave it 30, saying it was yeah. just shit. And I'm thinking, you know, that's really brought the average score down, obviously, to real low scores like that. Um, I thought that was a very low Metacritic score for a film like this. But no yeah, way, as I say, like, I know one of the main criticisms when it came out was people said it was too gore heavy. Mm. Um, but I don't think that actually... Apart from that, like ending bit, like we said, I think it actually detracts from the movie itself. It obviously just emphasises the brutality of what's going on. I think. Yeah, this this is the the line from the New York Times. Why they only gave it thirty? The thing is too phony looking to be disgusting. It qualifies only as instant junk. Is their tagline for it, which I thought was a bit harsh. Yeah. Fuck anyway, the New York. Yeah, exactly. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Should we give it our own score, bread roll? Let's do it. Would you like to go first? I'll go first, I guess, as I have been the last few weeks. Why not? I'll carry on the trend. So for anyone who doesn't know, and I'm sure you all do, we give our reviews udders for scores because that's what we do. Um, One udder being utterly fucking shit, five udders being absolutely incredible, and then everything in between with three being a sort of average. So with this, um, it's a brilliant film. There's no getting away from it. stellar cast although only Kurt Russell gets credit on uh, Wikipedia for some reason they're all brilliant and um, the whole paranoia thing really is excellent and the more you watch it the more you sort of pick up on that I mean it's quite obvious but you know the gore kind of takes away some of that and the gore again is brilliant I think it's done in very good doses there's not too much not too little I think the end as we've just discussed I don't like the last quarter of an hour of this film I just think it's just a bit of a shit ending really and it's a real shame because the first hour of this film first hour and 20 minutes or whatever superb so just because the ending isn't i don't think as good as it could have been it's going to get four and a half others not quite five but it is still one of my favorite films of all time i have to say what about yourself bread roll well yeah great score from yourself um yeah i echo a lot of what you you said there I mean, this is one of my all-time favourites. I'd say this, as far as horror, not even just sci-fi horror, but horror in general, this movie, for me, is second only to Alien. I think it's just one of those movies because I watched from a very young age and I've grown up enjoying it. But you're right, that last, over time, that last kind of 15 minutes or so, is just a little bit too heavy-handed. It would have been nice if maybe they played a bit more on the whole psychological thing and gave you a much more kind of 
thought-provoking ending than just going for the kind of monster movie thing. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> but yeah, overall, this is a great movie. Great cast, very well acted, very well shot. Great use of practical effects. And like you say, it's, the gore comes, you know, it comes in heavy doses, but then it gives you a bit of a break between them. Then you get another hit and then a little break and then another hit. So it's not relentless, but it moves along at a nice pace. So yeah, I think I'm going to do four and a half as well. I was considering giving it five because it is one of my all-time favourites. But yeah, that kind of heavy-handed ending drops it down a little bit. So yeah, four and a half from me as well, I think. Still very solid though. Um, and I think I was going to give it five until I rewatched it again yesterday. And I'd kind of not forgotten about the end because I knew I wasn't particularly happy with it. But just watching it again yesterday, it's almost like two movies in one, isn't it? The last 20 minutes, they've just tacked a different movie on the end. A bit like we talked about I think it was Covenant, the way they just tacked a, a totally different movie on the end. It's almost like they did it with this as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like, right, now we need something out for like the action junkies who don't... Like, no offence, everyone likes their own different thing, but like the people who don't like a kind of more intelligent kind of movie, we just need to mm. throw something in there just, just for that side of thing, which is a bit of a shame, but this movie is, by every kind of definition of word, it is a classic. I'd urge anyone to watch this movie if you haven't. Um, or rewatch it if you have. Um, but yeah, it is an absolute fantastic movie. And yeah, a bit heavy handed at the end, but by no means a ru- doesn't ruin the movie. It just kind of takes it in a bit of a weird direction. Yeah, totally agree. And also, if you haven't seen this movie and you are going to watch it, make sure you watch the 1982 version and not the uh, 2011, I think it was, version, which I'm going to say I've never seen. I never want to see. I've seen that. And did a few okay things. It's a prequel to this one, but it's got the shittest CGI going. Like it literally goes from being okay, this movie's not bad, and now I'm watching a fucking PS2 cutscene. <laughs> fucking dreadful, and it completely ruins it. But yeah, as JT said, just watch the 1982 version. Or if you're a really old school person, you could watch the really old 1950s one. I think it's 1950s, but this is the one you really want to watch. John Carpenter's version. Definitely couldn't. Couldn't agree more. And maybe I'll watch the 50s version one day, but I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, if it's, I think it's on BBC iPlayer. I swear oh, I scrolled past it once. <laughs> yeah. But that obviously involves paying a TV licence, which we don't like to do. So on that note, this is Bread Roll signing off. And from JT, I've just got one last thing to say. Kom dag, il helvet, det er ikke en hund, det er en slagsting, det er en hund. Then er ikke ette, bort da idiata. How many times did you practice that? That's the first time I've ever done it. <laughs> Fuck it. Oh. <laughs> I'm just going to do the Norwegian quote. I don't even know if that's right, but that's what it says he says on IMDb, so I just copy and pasted it. <laughs> <laughs>